0: Hey, it's another super-sized bonus extended edition of Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650 with myself, Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Uh, Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca or douglaslakeequipment.com. And Drantzor, of course, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Uh, find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And as part of the the new and improved Kintech Studio, we are streaming live video on Twitter, which, you know, I thought I was getting into radio, and, and my uh, the level of care I put into my personal appearance reflects <laughs> that. <laughs> so I'm
1: going to have to up my game a little bit. Uh, this is <laughs> going to, take some, some to. to. <laughs> is <gonna laughs> take some getting gonna used to. This is going to take some getting used to, for sure. Like, I, luckily, I dressed for a press conference, so I'm good to go. I uh, got my Canadian's hat on and uh, and a button up. So, but usually, usually I'm just going to be in a North Face or or whatever whatever I wear to the rink. Uh, anyway, we'll get used to it. We'll, we'll figure get it used out. To the television side of things, two two guys. <laughs> no. Not, not not chosen for TV specifically, but thrust into the spotlight in video. So well, we will also, do our best. I sit down here. I sit down here. The recording pops up live. And I don't know who did this, but someone had left a roll of toilet paper right on my desk. So I'm like, quickly take it <laughs> off and put it away. Like, don't want anyone to think I'm Absolutely completely, incredible. completely... Uh, off the deep end.
0: Uh, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we got to hear, we are on training camp eve for the Vancouver Canucks. They will open training camp in Whistler. Tomorrow we'll be there live covering it uh, on these airwaves. Let's go. And we got to hear from some of the the key figures, both players and head coach Bruce Boudreaux, uh at Rogers Arena today for some sort of beginning of the year media availabilities now we've heard from uh various figures in other contexts already right JT Miller spoke after he signed his deal we heard from Bo Horvat after one of the captain skates Bruce Boudreau here and there but kind of the first official you know on mass with all the assembled media chance to hear from him. leadership
1: Lock- group plus Demco yeah uh you know it was a stripped down availability relative to what we're used to you know they used to parade four Canucks players uh, onto the dais and go through, like, four or five groups. You'd get, like, 16 Canucks players. Now, there was a benefit to that from a reporter's standpoint in that you could pull guys aside afterwards and, and get a few things. But I actually liked that it was an hour and done. It was focused. I, yeah, and training camp's still a good time to have those conversations, right? The, the preseason is still a good time to have those conversations from a reporter's perspective. In fact, in some ways, it's more casual. Then when a guy's on his way off the off the dais following a presser, guys are more relaxed. No fitness training involved. Guys aren't tired. They're not looking forward to a cheeseburger. Having spent the last, you know, <laughs> eight weeks just crushing black rice quinoa and white fish in preparation for the VO2 max. So, you know, I, I liked this environment a fair bit. Uh, and uh, and I thought all of the players sort of I thought there was a lot of interesting material, interesting things said for us to chew over. And chew over it. We will. Yeah, we sure will. And I think, as you said, lots to take away from the players,
0: might from, from Udre as over well. Well, oh, whatever. Yeah. We'll mull it over. I suppose. Yeah. Chew on it. To me, the the big headline takeaway, if you had to choose one thing to talk about and tell everyone about what happened at the media availabilities, and this shouldn't come as a surprise, but I think it was still interesting to hear it. Interesting to hear how people talked about it. The headline takeaway is there are very, very, very clear expectations for this season. It's to make the playoffs. And to not do so would not just be a disappointment, but a massive, significant disappointment for this team. The words failure.
1: failure and disaster were thrown around. And for an organization, I mean, I don't have to remind you and I don't have to remind our dear listeners of what the last eight years for the Vancouver Canucks have looked like. And, you know, a lot of us remember recoiling at the way that the club would obfuscate about their intentions about their direction, and about their expectations. Uh, you know, for, for much of the past decade, to be totally honest with you, right? The word rebuild didn't enter the club's lexicon for two years after it was obvious that the club needed to rebuild. Um, you know, then there were seasons where they'd made win-now moves, and the expectations coming out of press conferences like this where you compete for a playoff spot. Yeah, you You know, we want to compete for a playoff spot. Everyone remembers meaningful games in March – As if that's ever been a thing in anything but college basketball, right? It was refreshing. Honestly, I found it really refreshing to have Bo Horvat say, you know, we want to make the playoffs. And and failing to do so would be, you know, a a failure. Uh, I liked Thatcher Demko saying, you know, we want to make the playoffs and then stopping himself, interrupting himself, right? We will make the Mm -hmm. playoffs, right? Positive positive vibes, Mm -hmm. manifestation from the Canucks starting goaltender. And then Bruce Boudreau referred to it as something that would be a disaster, both for the team and individually. And there's a lot to unpack too in that distinction. I suspect we'll get to in the second segment when we sort of open up a, a little bit more on Boudreau. But I found it just just such a departure, right? If you're looking for if you're looking for how this team or this organization is going to function a little bit differently than it has in the past, I thought the clarity with which The expectations for this season were expressed the way that the stakes were laid out. uh, You know, I found that very refreshing in comparison to what's gone before. And, you know, honestly, a distinct departure from what we've seen. And there are ways it shouldn't come as a massive
0: surprise that a team with the talent the Canucks has. Is saying we want to make the playoffs, but there are different ways to do that. There are kind of pro forma. Yeah, of course we want to make the playoff ways. And then there are the way I think the players and the coach did it today, which is to really emphasize just how disappointing, how massively disappointing, what a failure it would be to fall short of that goal. And... Again, it's, uh, to me, that is a difference that has meaning, right? And just the fact that it wasn't one player or it wasn't just the coach who was saying that. It was lockstep consensus, right? Mm-hmm. All very much singing from the same hymn book of we understand how dire it would be if this group, after all we've been through together and with the new coach, fails
1: to meet that standard. Now, one thing we did discuss yesterday was what are the stakes of the season, right? And I sort of rejected that assertion entirely saying you know, what are the stakes ever for a fringe playoff team, right? For a team that profiles to be mid nineties in points that Vegas has as, you know, uh, a pick 'em roughly 10th best playoff odds in the Western conference, 92.5 over under for, for points. Uh, at least last I checked, it may have moved a bit. So, you know, what, whatever are the stakes for a team like that? Well, they came out and they really did set them right. The stakes conversation I think changes in the wake of that press conference. And yet, and yet, you know, I'm old enough to remember the one goal messaging from the Chicago Blackhawks organization the moment they had Kane and Taves, mm-hmm. right? The one goal, and that one goal wasn't make the playoffs. It was win the Stanley Cup, right? There is still, I think, and it's worth pointing out, that while I was sort of relieved to have a clear expression of expectations put on this group for this season, the bar still needs to go up. In this marketplace, like the bar still needs to be raised to more than just be one of the top half of the league teams. And to me, it stood out that JT Miller started to go there. JT Miller uh, did unique start to go of there, everyone yeah.
0: today. He talked about this is why, like this is why everyone is in this sport is to compete for the Stanley Cup. And he wasn't saying it in a naive kind of you know, yeah, every year we think we're going to win the cup. He was saying, look. Our goal is to go and win some seven game series. Let's play in April, but also May and June, maybe even let's go and let's go compete for the Stanley Cup. And again, I don't think he was saying, you know, kind of with willful uh, hope or or kind of undue hope that, yeah, I think we're going to be a top five team in the league this year. I just think he was being honest about what you're talking about. Let's all let's all be frank about what the goal is. The goal is to win the Stanley Cup and you never know. Hey, maybe we can we can actually win a couple of seven game series. Let's do that. That's what we're here to do. So let's go out, go out and do it. Let's not just be content uh, with trying to make the, Stan, uh, the Stanley Cup yeah. playoffs this year. He was the guy who went farther Drag on that the rope. than
1: anyone else. Drag the rope, and that's and that's right. I mean, that's where the bar should be. That's where the bar should be, considering like the problem is the problem is is I don't think any of us think that's a realistic bar for this season. No, but considering how long this team has been toward the bottom of the league, right? Considering that they made, is it four, four top 10 picks over the course of six years or five years between 2014 and 2019. Yeah, four, five, five top 10 picks in that, in that time. Um, yeah, I mean, the bar has to be that high, even though this team hasn't achieved a ton. And, and especially it has to be that high considering some of the commitments that they've made this summer and could continue to make as this season goes along. So, you know, I appreciate it. I appreciate it and thought it was notable. And think it's a really healthy thing from a competitive standpoint in the room, how that team views itself, that they came out and really did set a bar and said, you know, it would be a failure to, to come under it. I think that's good good stuff. And yet I can't escape the notion, the overwhelming notion that, you know, it, it's, it's high time for this organization to aim higher, and I'm glad to see that JT Miller did it, but yeah. I'd love to see that be sort of a more standard operating procedure, right? I'd love to see them in all areas of the organization and how they function and what their goals are and, and, and the moves they make be aspiring to far more. Than just annual playoff. And I think there's real
0: value in somebody like JT Miller, who obviously now has the the massive long-term extension in hand, setting that goal publicly, even if it's not realistic for this season. Because then, even if the year does go really well for the Canucks this year, which I would define as, you know, winning a playoff series, you make it to the second round and then you bow out, I think that would be a, a successful season for this team. But once you've had JT Miller set the goal of, hey, by the way, we're not just trying to make the playoffs. We're trying to win the Stanley Cup. Y- you you, you have the ability of him to still hold the rest of the team accountable in that situation and kind of say, hey, that was nice, but let's not take our eyes off the prize, right? Yeah. Okay, great. We made it to the second round. We got to go even farther than that. We have to keep building on that. I think there's value to being very, very clear about that goal, even if you
1: know it's not the most realistic outcome for this season. Well, you have to keep your eye on it anyway. And, and you know, J T Miller, J T Miller, you're right. J T Miller just expressed the most ambition that anyone in the Canucks organization has since 2014. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's that's it's something, you know, it's something. And I'd rather, th- I'd rather see it in action. Like I'd rather see it in how the club actually conducts itself. But you know, I'll take it. And just to return to the the idea of what are the
0: stakes of this year, and as you said, the press conferences today reframe that conversation and I still don't think it's necessarily about what you know is there going to be a massive teardown of the roster as a result or a rebuild or anything like that because it is just so difficult to take it apart but I do think the players by acknowledging what they want to accomplish and how much of a disappointment it would be this year they have kind of publicly embraced okay if we don't basically any questions that you want to ask about us as a group are going to be fair game. You know what I mean? Like that, that, and, and, and you can say, well, those aren't real stakes. Cause there's always going to be criticism when you miss the playoffs, but they've really, I think they've really put it out there that look, this is our chance to prove it. And if we don't, w- there's going to be some very, very fair criticism asked about us. And I thought another tying into that, another one of the themes of the press conference today was, no excuses, right? And we've heard, you know, the Canucks using the, the promotional lingo of uh, unfinished business coming into the season, but I always thought no excuses could be kind of a sub theme for them this year. Bruce Boudreau talked about it, right? There's no star players on holdouts. You know, the JT Miller drama was resolved. Yeah, Bo Horvath in the final year of his deal, but he's saying all the right things. There's no injuries. Everything is healthy and ready to go. You know, you have a coach who... Got a little bit of familiarity with the team last year, but he's still fresh. The message hasn't worn off. There's still a lot of mutual enthusiasm between the coach and the players. There's reinforcements on the team they added in the offseason. They didn't subtract. There's really, other than just, you know, questions about depth on defense and talent on defense and all that, there's no kind of external factor which you can point to and say, oh, that's the thing that held the team back this year, right? There's no excuses. It's going to be inescapable
1: if they fail this year to point the blame at the players. You yada yada the state of the defense a little, but yeah, I think that's a fair point. But my point is that is well. also they don't say that they keep talking about their confidence in the group. So, um, you know, it's not an excuse that anyone has or can make based on previous comments anyway. Yeah. It's just a line of thought that extends about this team throughout the industry uh, among almost all close observers of the team and also you know, is sort of harbored internally. My point is it's <laughs> not going to be – you're not going to be able to say after this year,
0: at least as we stand right now, oh, this team is good enough to be a playoff team, but X happened, right? The conclusion is going to be, yeah, they weren't good enough to be a playoff team if they miss. And part of that is the issues on defense that, yeah. I, that I waved my hands past well, a little
1: bit Let's there. Let's hear from Bo Horvat a little bit on the subject of not making excuses and, and the how unacceptable last year was because I thought the captain put it pretty succinctly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's no secret that we have to get off to better starts. I mean, you know, uh, that's exactly what's happened the last two years is that we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot right at the beginning of the year where we have to play catch-up all the time. And in this league, it's, again, it's almost impossible to do. Obviously, you know, it it was promising what we did last year. I mean, having so many meaningful games and winning a lot of them, uh, I think, is a step in the right direction. But at the same time, us not making the playoffs isn't good enough. and we can't just be satisfied with almost or we can't be satisfied with you know good try we got to go and do it now I mean there's there's no more excuses there's no excuses for us so um, I'm excited about this year Um, I think these last two years I think we've learned a lot and we got to learn from it and, and build on this year and get off to a heck of a lot better start
0: Captain Bo Horvat saying it quite clearly. No excuses. We've learned a lot over the last two years. we got to build on that. we got to get off to a better start, right? Very, very succinct. Yeah, the
1: last two years, that's in the past. That's over. No excuses this year. And the starts thing is so key, right? When we were talking about this throughout last season and as much as sort of hope ballooned in this market as the team continued to play at a, you know, 106-point pace, right? A, a Not a division-winning pace, but close to it. Mm-hmm close to it for 57 games, you know, my view of their playoff odds sort of never really adjusted right there. And in fact, their material playoff odds never really adjusted. They never got really far beyond one in five in terms of their chances of making the playoffs. Even if it looked close when you looked at the standings, it's just not, it's just so hard to make up ground, which is why you know so much about a team after 30 games, right? After 30 games, you get through, you know, October, November, and into the first little bit of December. You have such a good grounding of who a team is and, and whether or not they're going to make it. it. It takes so much to make up ground with the way the NHL standings work, right? With the fact that wins aren't rewarded that significantly relative to overtime losses. With the way that, you know, the point structure functions with the incentives that that creates so that teams have a lot of gentleman agreement sort of draws late in the third period. Teams don't push the same way they would if there were three points for a win. It's just, it's so difficult to make up ground. This team's had two consecutive tough starts. Um, They used to be a fast starting group. Like they were a fast starting group for years and years there. I don't know if you guys remember, but you know, October, November from 2017 through the 2019 season, That was like, you know, winning time Mm -hmm. for this club. And now, uh, you know, they go into the season with, I think, a lot to prove right out the gate. Like right out the gate, we're going to have a really good sense of who this team is and what their fate is likely to be over the balance. And they've obviously all thought a lot about the starts thing,
0: right? And obviously, how could you not over the summer after you saw so clearly as if you needed any hard evidence, but you got it now of how incredibly difficult it is to pull out uh, of one of those holes when you dig it early in the season. That was top of mind for all of them. Uh, Today, speaking to the media, media, and I think absolutely fairly because of all the reasons that you laid out, I wanted to play this back from Horvat as well. We were talking about it a little earlier, but just good to hear it directly from Bo Horvat, the captain of the Canucks, uh, talking about how anything less than the playoffs this year will be a failure for the team.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we we have to see ourselves as a playoff team. You know, it's you know anything less than that, I think we we failed. I mean, honestly. you want to make the playoffs. I I think we, I believe in our, our group. I believe uh, that we have a playoff team here. And again, all the, the pieces that we added, I, I really believe in this group. I believe, uh, obviously, we have unbelievable goaltending. Our, our D core is solid. And obviously, our forwards are, are, are really good. So, I mean, I'm excited about this year.
0: That's Captain Bo Horvat, again, talking about how anything less than making the playoffs is a failure. And one of the the phrases he used early in that clip that stood out to me is, we have to see ourselves as a playoff team, right? Like, let's act like it. You know what I mean? Let's go take care of business early in the season, establish ourselves as a legit playoff team, and not this
1: scrappy underdog trying to make up ground later in the year. Which you also got from Thatcher Demko when he interrupted himself and said, we'll make the playoffs, right? There's a sense that, you know, you need to... Behave like it. You need to act like you've been there. Yeah. Of course. Even when you haven't. (laughs) Even when you haven't. Well, you know, of course, there's a huge distinction between a team that hasn't been there and a team that has in how they talk about it, right? One thing that you'll notice from availabilities among the perennial playoff teams, right? The Florida Panthers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Carolina Hurricanes. If you go listen to similar clips from players on those teams, Calgary, right? Right. What you're going to hear is this, and it's something we used to hear at this time of year every single season. We're not going to be judged on what happens in the regular season. That's what you hear from the teams that are elite, mm-hmm. right? So there's a level that the Canucks still have to get to. Obviously, this organization is ch- choosing to attempt to get through that process with baby steps, right? With bolstering this team, getting them into the playoffs, really wagering that that experience, that internal development can make the difference. And yet, you know, I can't escape the overwhelming feeling, right, that with the way this team's positioned cap-wise, with the way that their prospect system is atrophied, um, with all of the sort of the fundamentals around them and the infrastructure of the defense, which we'll talk about in a later segment here, you know, moving from where they're at now to the we're not even going to be judged on what happens until after Game 82. Game 83, that's when our season starts, right? Moving from that, that's going to be really tough. It's a really tough jump to It's make. a really tough jump to make. And it doesn't happen by accident. And in my view, it doesn't happen necessarily as just a result of, you know, uh, it's not necessarily like linear. It's not like you make the playoffs and then the next year that's who you no, are. No, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get better than that after the next season. As that's we saw not how it goes. As we saw, 2019 20, right? As we saw. So, you know, there's still another level to get to. But I do think that the way that this team presented themselves publicly, talked with some semblance of ambition, was a departure from what we've seen in the past. And to me, anyway, comes across as meaningful and refreshing. It's just that there's still another layer that I want to see this organization get to in terms of what they're really aiming for. Uh,
0: this text comes in unsigned. So what Drance is saying is the team must shift from meaningful games in March to meaningful games in May. Correct. That's pretty much it. That, that was always true. Make the playoffs count. Make that's That's
1: where meaningful games are going to win May. your thing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, good. that's that good will... where you're going to achieve your goals. <laughs> I mean, yes, meaningful games in May. Those are, those are the games we all know are meaningful. Uh, 650... There's never been a meaningful game in March. It's <laughs> in that wasn't college basketball. <laughs>
0: ever 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber Tech slide. get your thoughts in uh, more on the way I want to talk about Bruce Boudreau in here some of the things that he had to say as well uh, at Canucks media availability today at Rogers Arena it is Canucks hour on your home with the Canucks Sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Canucks preseason coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Black and Lee. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Black and Lee Dot .com and of course we are live in the Tech Studio it's Jamie Dodd and Canucks Insider Thomas Drantz here with you reacting to what we heard from various members of the Canucks leadership group at Rogers Arena today and also the coach Bruce Boudreau and and as ever with Boudreau Drantzer an entertaining wide-ranging press conference we heard about his trip to the Little League World Series to uh, to I support love support uh, the the team from Little Mountain here in Vancouver which is amazing so, it was so good
1: well the thing is is anyone else could tell that story and I'd be cynical about it I'd be like oh yeah whatever a handler set that up you did it to you know for good PR yep. blah 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 Bruce Boudreaux tells that story and you know the story includes watching Little League World Series games with his son something they always do it includes you know him taking the time to do it himself he he's at the he's at the stadium watching the game. He's like, Can I talk to the kids? They're yeah. like, Yeah, of course, Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> Absolutely you can. You know, he, he goes and does it and then finishes with that detail, right? That he gets home at one AM because of the rain delay. Yeah. He stays and watches the whole <laughs> game. And you know in you know a hundred percent, without any question, that this is just like a very nice guy doing a very nice thing. Because, you know, life's been good to him and it's nice to give back and he enjoys the Little League World Series anyway. So why not drive the FU hours to go support a team from Vancouver? I love it. It's great. It's so it's so likable and it's so genuine, right? It's impossible to not root for Bruce Boudreau personally. And I was thinking about that because I said to him, your team has a couple high-profile UFAs. And Bruce, oh, who? Bo Horvat. He's like, yeah, and, and you. Oh, right. He had no idea. And th- he didn't answer the question. Yeah. He, he he proceeded to not discuss his own contract status. Fair enough, right? With Boudreaux, though, right, we're only four or five months removed from a relatively dramatic situation that unfolded mm-hmm. involving him and the Canucks, in which the Canucks declined to exercise his extension, uh, effectively dared him to... Uh, you know, exercise his option to walk out the door, position themselves where they weren't going to pay to move on from him. Right. And ultimately he decided to come back. So, you know, we're now going into this season and I heard the morning show guys talking about Boudreaux's 66 to one odds of being the first coach yes. fired, but you know, that's the same odds as Jared Bednar. They, they pointed out and Jared Bednar just won the cop, but also Boudreaux's. Going into what we typically call a lame duck season, right? Final final year of his deal. Club explicitly declined to exercise his option. And management had some pretty pointed commentary about, you know, items like practice habits among the team, structure, and then even zoned in further and discussed zone exits. Over the course of this Boudreaux availability, right? There was an awful lot that I heard that I found extremely charming, extremely likable. Uh, I thought the expectations lines from him were, you know, phenomenally refreshing. And yet, I also thought there were a couple of moments within the presser where I sort of wondered if the seams may continue to show this season in terms of a different vision for this club between him and management. And, And sort of one of them happened right off the hop when he was discussing training camp plans and scrimmage plans in particular. We've got that audio ready to go.
0: Um. It's uh, I don't know uh, it's it's a little bit different. I'm not used to scrimmaging as well, but I mean it's just through conversation and and uh, doing uh, things that we all wanted to do and see. We want to see the players in action. So and it's only for the first three days. Uh, you won't see any scrimmages once we get back here.
1: The implication there being that you know Boudreaux probably wouldn't have scrimmaged three days in a row. Mm-hmm the way that this team typically has, right? Like this organization has typically run scrimmages or, or run training camp with scrimmages after all three of the on-ice sessions. And and to clarify for for fans, right? The CBA calls for reporting day is this Tuesday. Like today is reporting day yesterday. in terms of – is it Dude, Wednesday? It's Wednesday today, yes. Yesterday is reporting day. So yesterday is like fitness testing yep. and, and on and on, although some teams and some players cooperate to do so ahead of time. Uh, but Tuesday's reporting day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday are the only days that you're actually allowed to have players on the ice for an extended period of time. That's collectively bargained because back in the day, you'd have two days and all this wild stuff that uh, teams would put the players through. Right. So the legacy of that is you have three days, which is why training camp happens at the exact same time for every single team around the entire league. It's because these are the three days where you get more than that amount of time with your players on, for on-ice sessions. Uh, the club has always scrimmaged, as far as I can recall, certainly since I came back in 2019, after all three days of this camp. Now, training camp tends to be open, so there may be marketing and fan right. outreach uh, considerations here. I suspect there are, considering we've had management change, and yet this structure is remaining with the three scrimmages. But, you know, you could tell that Boudreaux was skeptical. And when we get back, we're not going to be scrimmaging, right? That's over. <laughs> That's over. Um, you know, as I think about this season, as I think about commentary by both Alvin and, and Boudreaux about their own relationship, when I think about, you know, we talk every day, we talk every second day, right? On the one hand, you can spin that to be, look, they're cooperating, right? They're, their relationship is good. They're, they're getting on the same page. They're working at it, right? On the other hand, you know, you could wonder, is that micromanagement? Is there a level of... Um, you know, is there a level of touch point between general manager and coach that, you know, maybe is overbearing from the perspective of one or the other, right? Um, it's just, it's just something that's a little bit sort of percolating in the back of my head that if the results don't come, if the results don't come, this could be a major plot line to follow. And yet no one's ever made a cent betting against Bruce Boudreau in the regular <laughs> season and winning cures all. Right? Winning cures all. This could be absolutely nothing, but it could be something that we end up talking about a lot, depending on how the first month and a half of the season goes. Well, that's what it all comes down to, is how, how
0: they're performing on the ice. Because if they're performing well, if they're above that playoff bar consistently throughout the season, it's not going to be a major storyline, right? It's going to be something that we think about in the off season. If, you know, heaven forbid there's another disastrous start to the season, then it becomes a story extremely, extremely quickly. Right. Now I wouldn't bet on that because as you said, Bruce Boudreaux's record as a head coach in the NHL is pretty, pretty darn successful at making the playoffs. And I historically successful. Yeah, and I think he's got the uh he's got the talent to do it again here, but it is kind of lurking in the background. And you know, another facet of that is obviously one of the things that kind of sparked questions from fans and media about boudreaux's future was it wasn't just the contract status but it was also as you said the the commentary from alvin and rutherford about how they want the team to play uh the the zone exits the structure and all of that and i don't know that we've ever from asking patrick alvin about it in follow-up interviews from asking bruce boudreaux about it i don't know that we've ever i've ever got a sense at least that they're publicly on the same page about what exactly that's meant, right? And what those changes would look like. And even today, when Bruce Boudreaux was asked about it, you know, one of the things he, he said, well, it's not really about systems. It's more about executing. I don't think he said executing. He said, you know, it's more about going out there and do it, right? It's, a, it's a, okay, we need to make those tape-to-tape passes. Execution. We need to win those battles on the board. And, well, to me, yeah, that's... I guess that's what you could mean if you say you want to play with more structure. But it also sounds like Bruce Boudreaux saying, well, we really just need better personnel. We need guys who can make those tape-to-tape passes consistently. It doesn't exactly match up with my reading of what Patrick Alveen and Jim Rutherford meant at the end of last season. And I, I do just wonder if there's a bit of, I don't know, a gap between what Alvine and Rutherford hoped would transpire after they made those comments and what actually has transpired and what Bruce Boudreau took from them.
1: Well, and we'll see. I mean, this is a new look coaching staff, right? I, I do think there's a expectation that Boudreau will work a little more collaboratively than he did last season. Um, not that that's a mark against him. I mean, he inherited a coaching staff that, you know, he hadn't handpicked. He brought in one guy in Scott Walker who's <laughs> no longer here. Uh, you know, Mike Yo comes onto the staff. Uh, everyone in the organization singing from the same hymn book, that was Bruce Boudreaux's decision, and yet Mike Yo spent 10 years in the Penguins organization, right? Uh, there's, there's enough that if you want to pick up these breadcrumbs, if you want to read between the lines here, uh, you know, you can eye this situation as a precarious one for Vancouver's wildly popular head coach. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic and one to watch for. It's, it's clearly not a conflagration. Um, but there may be some smoke here. There may be some smoke here. I-, I couldn't escape that sense as Boudreaux was speaking, even as, you know, I'm just so impressed by the way that he chews the scenery in this format, right? <laughs> by just how en- enormously likable he is as a character, as a figure, um, you know? And then when you combine that part, like that, the the genuine, like, positive vibes the joy yeah There's the joy, joy. That that's just, what it is it, it's you're right it is joyful it's like a deep
0: love of hockey he is so excited to be a head coach in the nhl he and loves it. it's not it's not as if it's his first time no. he's done it a lot but he, he lives still it. just
1: has a genuine passion and joy to be doing it and, and it clearly comes across to his players it clearly comes across to the fans i think he's the most popular head coach of my lifetime probably including pat quinn at this point in terms of the like we're in penticton and and fans are chanting, "Bruce, there it is!" When the Canucks are leading that in the third incredible. period, and uh, and Bruce is you know sitting up top in the scout section, which is right near the media section, and he's dying laughing, yeah, just like crying laughing. And one of his assistants <laughs> leans over to him and he goes, "This was all you, Bruce, right?" And in a game he's not coaching. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> and uh, but you see the you see the joy from him in everything he does, uh, and joy is the right word. Joy is the right word. He. He's enormously likable. He's also enormously successful, right? He's he's one of the main – he might be the main reason, right, why if you're betting, wagering, realistically hopeful that the Canucks can significantly exceed expectations this season, like you're betting on the Boudreaux effect, yeah, right? That's what you're betting on. So the contrast, though, between that and between – Sort of the real situation from a business perspective, just seems sharp to me, and 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 I sort of couldn't escape that that sense of distinction as I watched him speak today. I, I do love that. If anyone was wondering, you know, I wonder, I wonder if the the love affair between
0: fans and Bruce Boudreau will carry over. Is, is Bruce there? It is going to be a thing. It took to literally the first goal in the prospect tournament I know. for Bruce. There well, it is to make a comeback.
1: Okay, can we, I want to talk about Bruce. There it is, really quickly. As okay, a do it. Do it. It's hopelessly annoying, right? It's hopelessly I annoying. I like it. Sorry, sorry. It's hopelessly annoying, and that's why it's great. Okay. You see okay. what I'm saying? The Canucks, as far as I know, have never had something that would bother the fans of another team that they're defeating in quite the same way, right? Think about how Canucks fans reacted to Chelsea Dagger, mm-hmm. right? And how just wildly annoying it was. And then everyone around the league is like, this is great. It's such a great goal song. And it's no, terrible. It's the worst. Right. The idea of playing playoff games here and you're losing a playoff game and the fans are just, you know, um, shouting you off the ice with Bruce. There it is. Like, I don't know. Oh, man. It's just so marvelously annoying. That's what makes it great. That's what I that's what I love about it is that I just can't help but escape the perspective of. You know, a fan like of, a fan of a team. It's just like when I when I when I worked for the Panthers and you'd go into Montreal and lose, and right? You'd hear they're that, singing, like they're serenading ole, you, yeah. ole, ole ole. And you're just like, oh, this I just, just want to get out of here. And, a nightmare, and a nightmare. I. It's the exact same thing. I honestly think that's like a a random Canucks superpower for this season is the home crowd having just this wildly annoying, completely organic chant to serenade to the losers. I mean, it's it's to rub it in it's, a little bit. It's brilliant. It's honestly brilliant, but it's brilliant because
0: it's so annoying. Uh, Bruce Boudreau had some other interesting things to say in the press conference. Just to quickly return to the the conversation about expectations before we move on, because I wanted to hear from uh, Boudreau's perspective as well. Here's what he had to say about his expectations and the players as well this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like it it just proves that he he's he's all about winning and. Uh, um, you know I mean the points will take care of himself. He's going to be put in a position to get them and he's and he's skilled enough to get a lot of points. but I mean, when you start thinking about the winning and if only if everybody thinks that way, then it doesn't matter who does what and you'll be a successful team. So to hear Jt
1: um, talk
0: like that that it's really promising. That was uh, Boudreau talking about JT Miller's commitment, and I, I want to talk about JT Miller and some of the things he had to yeah, say. We'll get to that next. Elsewhere, segment. Bruce Boudreau uh, also talked about, and, and this was one of the, one area where I thought there was agreement between management and coach on a point that could have been a disagreement, right? Because I believe it was it was either with you or or just generally in Penticton, where Patrick Ouellet said, you know, I want to stop talking about the last fifty seven games. Yeah, that of the was year. with IMAC. Yeah, okay, that was with IMAC because it, we didn't make the playoffs, so it wasn't good enough. And Bruce Boudreaux kind of said, well, the thing that I think take away from those 57 games was it's about the belief for the players. It was a belief point. When I got here, they didn't believe. Then they started to believe. And that's the key. Not Not that it was good enough, but that it made them able to believe.
1: So I also thought that was another area where it seemed like. You know, there was at least grounds to wonder if everyone's on the same page. See, right? but
0: I think it was, I think Boudreau did a good job of not disagreeing with Patrick yeah, Alvigne. sure. He you know what I mean? To me, that was closer to, here, here's my interpretation that can align with
1: what Alvigne had to say. But, you know, at the end of the season, right? At the end of the season, in the same availability that we heard the zone exits thing, in, in which Jim Rutherford made it clear that the Canucks would not offer Bruce Boudreau an extension despite his tremendous Demonstrably tremendous work over the course of 57 games. You know, he was asked, did the Canucks run over the last 57 games change your mind about what this team is? And he responded, no, Mm -hmm. right? Boudreaux, right, is saying those 57 games mattered. They weren't good enough. We didn't make the playoffs. I'm not disagreeing with my general manager, but as a result of what we did there, we have a belief point. We have a stake in the ground, a beachhead. From which to launch our assault on the playoffs this year, and so there is still a a pretty significant distinction there. Even if Boudreaux was tactful enough to make sure that it wasn't a repudiation of any form, um, you know, it couldn't be misunderstood as a repudiation of any kind.
0: the uh, The other thing that stood out to me from Boudreaux, and it's something that makes me uh, even more excited to be at training camp in Whistler tomorrow, is just him saying. When they take the ice tomorrow in Whistler, you're going to see something line configurations that he hopes, at least theoretically, could be opening night line combos, right? We're going to get a lot of information about different ideas that he's had. And he talked, we alluded to this yesterday, but, you know, somebody asked him, what's the number of line uh, combinations you've thought? And he said, what's the biggest number you can think of? <laughs> That's how many different permutations he's gone through. But yeah, he as according to Bruce Boudreau, we are going to see potential opening night lineups, uh, lines at least tomorrow in Whistler and I I just thought he also said you know in preseason you want to make sure you're keeping your potential lines together as consistently as possible and I thought there was a really interesting focus on almost because there's so many different potential options trying to find ones that work right away and really focusing on building that chemistry
1: early in training camp in preseason as quickly as you can with this group this is not a departure from what we used to see under Travis Green by the way like I had some mentions after I Shot out that uh, Bruce Boudreau quote on Twitter. People being like, "Oh yeah, I you know I'm so uh, unhappy that we're not going to see J T. Miller and Brock Besser with Carson Foxx or whatever." <laughs> and <it's>, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, we always saw something meaningful at Canucks camp opening day in the previous regime too, right? Whether it was Furland with Besser and Patterson, mm-hmm. right? Um, Pearson, Miller, Horvat, right? That that was how they started the season. That's not two games in; they'd lost both games and they went to the lottery line. But you know. Uh, Hughes with Tanev, we saw right off the bat. Um, Hoaglander with Pearson and Horvath, right? I mean, we've we've pretty consistently seen something that matters for this team right, o- right out of the bat. What I thought was really interesting about Boudreau's commentary was, first of all, Garland on the left side. I thought he was pretty much telegraphing that Garland's going to start on the left side. Uh, the one thing he knows for sure is the three centermen down the middle, yep. right? And then... The idea that, and this is not unlike in fantasy football, right? If you're going to take a flyer on a guy on your bench, you want to know right away if you should drop him or not, right? You want to like pick guys almost for strategy purposes that are either going to hit or burn out immediately. Like uh, week one, you're going to know. And I thought it was interesting to hear him discuss sort of trying to replicate that a little bit with guys like Kuzmenko, right? One of the biggest wild cards for the Canucks going into the season doesn't it make sense to know right away? And he talked about, you know, start him on the left side, right? Um, Give him some opportunity. Sort of get that run. You know, the defenseman on the right side. Figure out who can play there, right? You've got to use the preseason. You've got to use these camp days to get a quick yes or no on a couple of guys so that you have a really firm grounding of exactly what you've got once the season starts. I thought that was a pretty interesting commentary and, and I think the right way to go. In a oh, lot no of ways. Doubt.
0: I, I think it's absolutely the right way to go. And the thing that stands out to me this year about seeing those kind of potential real combos early is there's so many more questions, it feels like, mm. because there's so many different ways you can put it together. You know what I mean? And it would have been easy for Boudreau to say, well, we're going to try a bunch of different things. And look, as he also said, hey, you know, line changes can happen on a daily basis. You might have In an injury hockey.
1: that makes you make three
0: line changes. Exactly. But he didn't take the kind of easy off ramp and say, oh, yeah, we'll try a bunch. We've got so many depth. It's a good problem to have. We'll try a bunch of different things. He said, you know, ideally, we're going to have something that we can run out on opening night tomorrow in Whistler. And when you have, you know, it's not as if they have, you look at it and say, okay, well, these two lines are going to be together for sure. And then how do they put the rest of it together? I mean, outside of the fourth line, there's so many different ways you could put together
1: uh, the top three lines for this team. I thought that was interesting. Garland on the left side, by the way, implies an awful lot, right? Like, if you treat this as an LSAT logic game, something that all you right. have a ton of familiarity right. with, yeah. right? It's been a while, but sure. <laughs> Garland on the left side and three centermen down the middle. And he also talked about Kuzmenko being on the left side. Yes. Okay? So then you know you have Pearson on the left side because Pearson always plays the left side, right? So all of a sudden, you know, you don't have exactly what centermen they're with, but you have a picture of that. Now, if you think about guys who could play the right side for the Canucks, right? Makayev's one of them. Mm-hmm. You're not going to move Pearson over to the right side. Mikhaev played the right side with Engval and Kerfoot throughout last season. So Mikhaev starts on the right side. That's what, that's, you know, Boudreau, all Boudreau said was uh, Kuzmenko on the left side, Garland on the left side. Implied it, right? That means that Mikhaev's one of your right wingers. Vasily Colson might be a left-handed shooter, but he's a right winger, right? Brock Besser, we all know, is a right winger. So there you go. You've got sort of a Canucks top nine now. Can you extrapolate this further and say, okay, what's the fourth right-handed shot that the Canucks could put on that right side? Now, obviously, if you're playing Podkolzin on the left, Makayev on the left, on the right, sorry, Podkolzin, Podkolzin and, on the right, yeah, if you're if you're playing two lefties on the or two lefties on the right and two righties on the left, then obviously handedness is not going to be determinative here. But I almost wonder, could we see Lazar? as a right wing we've all we've all thought he was coming in to be a center yep but you know it's probably in this club's best interests to make sure that jason dickinson is in the opening night lineup right i mean you're going to soar your your ability to trade him at all ever if you don't pick him if you i mean you might have to put him through waivers for cap reasons regardless but if he's not playing for you on opening night it's going to be really hard to ever get off of that deal without a buyout um could that imply that we might see something like a joshua dickinson lazar Fourth line, obviously we know Hoglander can play either side, so I'm, you know, I'm not saying that this tells us anything about Hoaglander, But if Boudreaux is going to roll out four lines that he hopes look like his opening night lines, we're going to have an awful lot of information 24 hours from now, and we'll unpack it all on this show. Yeah, the handedness thing is interesting. We'll take a quick break here, but he he referenced that with.
0: Uh, Jack Rathbone as well, right, saying, you know what, if he's good enough to play, if he's one of our six best guys, I don't really care which way he shoots. And and you heard something similar with the forwards, right? We've talked to these guys. We've drawn up lineups with, you know, right, right shot guys playing on the right wing with them playing on the left wing. There's an obvious emphasis of get the best talent out there, find that chemistry. We'll bet on them to figure out the handedness. Mm. We talked about it with Quinn Hughes and OEL, but to me, that was a theme up and down the lineup uh, from what we heard with Bruce Boudreaux today as well. I want to talk about JT Miller. I thought he had a really interesting press conference and some fascinating things to say. We'll get into that on the other side. Continue to look ahead to training camp for the Canucks, which opens in Whistler as well. It is Canucks hour here on Sportsnet 650.